We were just so mm. clueless and didn't have the tools to actually implement what we wanted in our relationship. And that over many, many years is what led us to where we are today to figure out what causes people to disconnect in the very relationships that they were so excited about. Because when I figured out what causes people to disconnect, she said, well, well, okay, great, but so what? You know, <laughs> we know what causes them to disconnect. That doesn't help us much. She said, what if we reversed it? Is that what causes people to connect? And she was quite correct. This is episode number 562 with Dr. Glenn and Phyllis Hill. We're going to be speaking about how to conquer conflict in relationships in just four minutes, how to really connect with your partner, whether you're just dating or in a relationship, you're going to want to really pay attention to these two experts because they have a lot of wisdom to share. Hi, everybody. I'm Sandy Wiener. I'm welcome back to Last First Date Radio, where we believe it is never too late to go on your last first date. And to support you on your journey to lasting love, I wrote two books. The first one is Becoming a Woman of Value, How to Thrive in Life and Love. And this book is really about how to communicate better, how to really build your core confidence. And it's a lot of really helpful tips, stories, lots of good stuff. And this one, uh, Choice Points in Dating, is uh, just published in February, February 14th of this year. And this is really about the choices we make in dating and relationships. And often we feel we're not a choice. We make poor choices and it all boils down to our inner GPS, which really guides us to making the best choices. And I show you how to do that in this book. And so they're both available on Amazon for Kindle or paperback. This week's tip from the Woman of Value book is step number two, create a life that energizes you and fills you up. We often feel that we, we have a life that's kind of meh. And I know that a lot of my life has been interesting, but not, not at the level that I live now. And so it's really with intention that we create a life that is not just in service to others, but that actually energizes us. And so if you are feeling kind of blah right now, I encourage you to do something. Take, take one step towards living a life that feels more aligned with who you are and really gives you more energy, whether it's signing up for a class or doing a hobby that you've always wanted to do, or even just reading that book, whatever it is that will really energize you more, go do that. And before I bring our guests on, I just want to invite you to join my Facebook group. It's called Your Last First Date, and it's for women over 40 who really want positive support, very unlike most groups for single women. And so join us over there at Your Last First Date date. And now for my guests, Dr. Glenn and Phyllis Hill developed a tool to help conquer conflict in relationships in only four minutes. After experiencing 30 years of a painful marriage, Dr. Glenn went back to school to become a marriage and family therapist and a clinical sexologist. He spent many years researching emotions and studying how the brain fires when we experience emotions, which led to developing the connection codes. Through using their unique system, couples who had signed divorce papers reunite, incomes double, health diagnosis is reversed, and sexless marriages experience joy in sex. That's pretty awesome. Welcome, guys. Wow. Thank you, Thank wow. you so much. It's such a thrill to be with you and just to be able to talk about topics that 
I know mean a lot to you and your audience, yeah. uh, just based on your podcast. So really thankful to be with you today. Well, thank you. It, these topics are very near and dear to my heart and I teach communication skills and boundaries and without good communication and really understanding emotions, we don't have fulfilling relationships with ourselves or others. So let's talk about you and your marriage and what was your vision for marriage and what actually happened? Yeah, well, listening to some of your stuff, Sandy, I think it's so important that people give themselves some grace because nobody plans to fail in relationships. Mm -hmm. And our story is very much that, that 24 hours before our wedding, we were excited about happily ever after. And 48 hours after our wedding, we were shell-shocked and stunned about what the heck just happened. And uh, you know, we figured we'd just signed a 70-year contract. Uh, I was 20 years old. I didn't know how long 70 years was, but it sounded like a long time. And I was like, oh my gosh. Well, we, we didn't plan that. We didn't do that on purpose. We were just mm -hmm. so clueless and didn't have the tools to actually implement what we wanted in our relationship. And that over many, many years is what led us to where we are today to figure out what causes people to disconnect in the very relationships that they were so excited about, which includes every relationship, uh, including children or, or whatever it is. Uh, and then, and just so you know, I'm the educated one, Phyllis is the smart one. Um, I do all the hard work and she figures out what actually matters because when I figured out what causes people to disconnect, she said, well, well, okay, great. But so what, you know, <laughs> we know what causes them to disconnect. That doesn't help us much. She said, what if we reversed it? Is that what causes people to connect? And she was quite correct. Mm -hmm. And that's what we now call the connection codes because we know how to help people connect deeply uh, in relationship. Wow. Beautiful. Phyllis, do you have anything to add to that? Well, you know, we were young when we married and, and I know that, you know, even today people say, well, that was the problem. You were just too young. And it's like, mm, I don't, I don't agree with that. I don't believe that. I think people in their thirties don't necessarily have the right tools and the right things to set up for success. And for us, what, the list that we had made, actually at that young age, we looked pretty successful. You know, we bought our first house, uh, signed on it like two weeks before the wedding. We both had really good jobs with future uh, career opportunities. We had good insurance. We had a good car, all the things, you know, and uh, we had not lived in the same city. So we had dated long distance, which means we did a lot of letter writing back in those days and like actual letter, actual writing. letter writing. Like, yes. You probably know what yes. that means. A lot of your audience may be like, <laughs> letter. What does that mean? Her audience may, may get it, but you know, on paper, we looked like we had all that it takes to have success. And so for us, it just was almost startling how right away we fought and disconnected and did not understand the differences very much went into it thinking there is only a right way. And so, you know, it was so often that my way was not the right way. And so there was a lot of just tension and stress over what we, the differences of who we were and it, you know, and it was just like, wow, the pain in that, the conflict and it just, kind of grew. It's like, we didn't know it's, you know, it's, it's one of those where you go, was this what it was meant to be? Like, wow, there's so much pain and so much conflict and misunderstandings and woundings. And so 
you know, for us, it just led us down a road of just years of pain. And yet we married on purpose. You know, we, we liked each other. We really saw that we could have a future together. And there was so many things that we agreed on uh, as far as how we saw the the world or how we, even money. One of the things a lot of couples fight about, nope, not for us. We were always kind of on the same track when it came to things like that. And yet we did not know how to resolve our differences or resolve the conflicts that we would have. Well, I like that you brought in these foundational things that you had in common, because a lot of people who have conflict don't agree on worldview and they don't agree on money and all the big topics. So I think in those cases, it is harder to resolve conflict. Um, I think that you just didn't have conflict resolution skills and you both didn't really know how to resolve issues. I mean, you know, the Gottmans talk about how the biggest marker for divorce is the way that conflict shows up in relationships, especially the worst kinds of conflict, mm-hmm. which can lead to contempt, which is the worst way mm-hmm. to be in a relationship. Okay. And so I'm curious how you started to shift your marriage so that you are in this place now where you not only are you surviving, but you're thriving. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it all boils down to the connection codes and the, and the connection codes are the blueprint of how humans connect deeply. Uh, we did not invent the connection codes. We just wrote a book uh, about it. You know, we just developed uh, classes in teaching them, but the connection codes are just a human condition. This is true of every human uh, on the planet. So I was on a quest to discover how in the world mm-hmm. these two people, Phyllis and Glenn could get lost so horribly from each other. It didn't make sense because again, we planned to have a great relationship and we did have, we, we married on purpose. We married because we wanted to. So I'm just befuddled. How is this possible that these two sharp, talented, gifted people can be clueless? And so, and it took us a long time. And again, there, there were lots and lots and lots of steps along the way, but eventually began doing research and just figuring out how do people lose each other? How did Phyllis and Glenn get so Mm -hmm. lost from the relationship that they wanted to have? They signed up, you know, it wasn't a shotgun wedding. It was a voluntary uh, arrangement. And so as we began just charting where people get lost and in a very micro way, and we just watched, we observed hundreds and thousands of interactions and just started notating where did they lose each other? What what happened literally in kind of a freeze frame way to go, oh, right there, right there. He pulled away from her. You can just watch people's you know body language right in that second. And so it took a long time, but we started noticing these patterns. Uh, and of course, we're also just two humans as well. So we're observing in ourselves, well, where do we get lost uh, from each other. And eventually, again, fast forwarding a bit, eventually we realize it's always the emotion that's underneath the discussion. It's not the topic. It's not the logistics, we call it. It's not the facts, the figures, the content, the information. It's actually the emotion that's under it is where they get lost from each other. We, we had a a moment that was actually repeated many, many times, but uh, it was over the dishwasher Mm. and Glenn had unloaded the dishwasher and I was doing something else in the kitchen and and realized that the dishwasher had been unloaded and he came into the kitchen and I said, Oh, thank you for unloading the dishwasher. And 
as was his normal, he didn't say, you're welcome. He said something kind of snarky, like, well, that's not the only thing I've done today. And that response would often either lead me to say something back that was snarky, or I would just shut down or I would walk out of the room. Like it it was for me very painful that he wouldn't just say you're welcome. And we had repeated this pattern so many times and literally certainly hundreds, possibly a thousand or more times we'd had that sort of interaction. And so this time, instead of doing my usual, I turned to him and I said, what do you hear me say Mm. when I say thank you for unloading the dishwasher? And that moment that we now retell this story, we never realized that was going to be a pivotal turning point in our relationship. Because what Glenn told me that he heard me say, and I I was just, Mm. you know, dumbfounded. Like I was like, Wow, the word "thank you" mm. was was interpreted by him in a very, very different way. Yeah, because and what we had missed so many, many, many times is uh, I just happened to live with one of the most productive people on the planet, and she happens to live with one of the lesser productive people on the planet. I'm fun to have around, but I struggle getting just basic tasks done. So whenever I would hear her say, thanks for loading the dishwasher, it sounded like she was like making a big deal. Like, oh, it's a miracle. Glenn did something productive for a change. Wow. Call the internet, throw some confetti. And so I felt insulted by that. I felt demeaned. I felt humiliated. So my response to her would be, you know, something as she said, like, you know, well, it's not like that's the only thing I've done today. I mean, I've done some other things too, because I'm experiencing an attack from her, none of which she intended, none of which she was experiencing, Mm. but that's what happened inside of me. And so I felt shamed. I felt embarrassed that she's making a big deal out of something very, very uh, small. So whenever she would say to me, and she went through a period of probably years, we should say, you could just say you're welcome or something. And why would I say you're welcome when you just insulted me? You know, you just humiliated me, which again, had nothing to do with Phyllis. That was all of what was happening inside of Glenn and her slowing down in that moment, which she did not have to do. Uh, it was simply out of kindness and and gratuitous that she said, babe, what do you hear me say there? What happens for you? And she got curious about her partner's response, which again, she didn't have to do. It's It was incumbent on me to tell her what was happening. And I was clueless. I was completely, um, again, just clueless of, of what was happening for me. But she slowed down in that moment, uh, and we call it the ooh. She gave me the first ooh of our relationship. After I explained it to her, she said, oh, no wonder you respond the way that you do, which, again, is not Phyllis's fault. It's not Phyllis's even responsibility. But she cared so deeply for me that she's like, I got to figure this out, what's happening for him. And she did, and that was a benchmark in our relationship and began uh, a a restitution, a, a restoration of our relationship because she found out what was happening with her partner. Well, what I hear is the importance of curiosity and mm-hmm. not oh. making assumptions. Yep. 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 We don't know how other people feel. And I think... <laughs> I I definitely grew up in a home where there were so many assumptions and so much screaming and yelling and of just taking everything personally. And so, you know, when you think the whole world is out to get you and so many people grow up that way and don't 
really ever get to witness healthy relationships or healthy conflict resolution. And so just saying, what did you hear me say? That opened a door. That's amazing. Yeah. 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 And, and something we haven't mentioned, but Glenn deals with a, a high level of obsessive compulsive disorder and which we didn't know, he didn't know mm. going into marriage and it came out in many, many ways. Uh, but I was so unaware of what was happening that it kind of played into, oh, there's a right way to put away the dishes. Oh, there's a right way to fold the towels. Oh, there's a right way to do the laundry. And so it was, I was trying to keep up with all of his patterns, not knowing they were his patterns. I thought, oh, there's a right way and a wrong way to do things. And so, you know, a lot of our early years were very painful because he didn't understand what was happening for himself. And I didn't understand what was happening. And so it was years down the road when through the help of some friends that Glenn became aware of the, the patterns and that it was, you know, crippling for him. It was very difficult for him to just function in everyday life. And then I also, for me, tasks are easier, but it's also because I don't have that pattern, right? I don't have the obsessive compulsive disorder challenges. And so I can get a whole lot of tasks done very fast not because I'm really Wonder Woman. It's just because I don't have the Woman. challenges <laughs> that he was facing. And so it was like, you know, so often in relationships, we we go down a road, we set up even patterns with each other to avoid conflict mm. or to survive, you know? And so for us, it was like, I became the task one because otherwise I don't know how we would have survived in a way mm. just practically, but eventually it was like, you know, when he started understanding and realizing, Oh, this is obsessive compulsive disorder. Mm. And that he really started seeing the emotion behind so much of it and got the help that he needed. I think that was mm. the thing too, that we realized we're fighting over logistics mm. And really it's the emotion under it that is disconnecting us. Yeah. What that means practically, and again, there's hundreds and perhaps thousands of scenarios that played out for us, but Phyllis would do laundry, for example, and fold the towels. Well, for me, I would refold the towels three, four, five times because I want the corners to be perfectly lined up together. Well, that's a pain point for me. It's a pain experience. Phyllis is unable to feel pain about the corners not being perfectly you know, lined up. I'm unable not to feel pain if they're not lined up. So, and we didn't understand all that back then. Now I'm actually able to fold the towels and they're not perfect. And I'm able to process the pain, preferably with someone else, which you know typically would be my partner. And then I'm able to continue functioning, even though the towels are not perfect. Uh, and there were so many times that she would do something. She would fold the towels at the end of the day. And once we had children, she's just glad to get laundry done. She's like, oh, big win for the day. I would literally come home and redo the laundry uh, because they were ruined. It wasn't right. The towels weren't folded properly. The towels weren't stacked up. And not always, but all too often I was rude to her in the process. Like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you did this the wrong way. Of course, this poor girl's just excited that she got the laundry done and the babies are still alive. So it's a good day. <laughs> so we would have these horrible, horrible conflicts. Uh, you know, it's just amazing to me to think 
how much pain and trauma I brought to her through those interactions. But again, I wasn't doing it to be a jerk. I did it because I genuinely experienced pain about the towels or again, countless other things that were happening for me, but I had no idea that that's what I was experiencing. I thought there was just a right and a wrong and she was doing it wrong. And I was trying to get her to do it uh, right. And now we see that and I'm able to say to her, Oh, I feel some pain. I feel some sadness because the towels aren't perfect. And she's able to ooh me and go, Hmm. Yeah, I hear you. And literally <laughs> it was 10 seconds, 20 seconds to process through that. And because of that, we are able to be very, very functional. It works. <laughs> Yeah, I can see that. And and I think this is such a relatable topic, even though, you know, with people who don't have OCD and who don't have your exact situation, there's definitely a right and wrong way to do things. And I think, especially when you have children, and I remember that was a pivotal moment for me with my ex-husband, which uh, like he would take the kids out sometimes and he wouldn't pack the baby bag correctly. And I would say, oh yeah, how irresponsible of him. He's taking the kids and they're going to be hungry and he didn't pack a snack. And well, and then I just took a breath and said, he's taking the kids. <laughs> That's wow. a good thing. <laughs> but it also sounds like in your case, both of you were willing to do the work. Let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Music Unlimited. You can listen to over 70 million songs and thousands of playlists and stations. Plus, you can now stream your favorite podcasts like Last First Date Radio. You can listen to any song, anytime, anywhere, on any of your devices. Get Amazon Music Unlimited for free for 30 days. Just head on over to getamazonmusic.com forward slash last first date to learn more and claim this offer. I'm wondering if you have only one person doing the work, and this this question comes up a lot because I usually deal with just one part of a couple. Um, how successful can it be if somebody says, well, I don't need therapy or I'm perfect the way I am, so you're the problem? Well, part of what uh, one of the Connection Codes protocols is that when we present a need from a position of vulnerability, we are coded as humans to help people who are in need. So just like in that situation, if, if I said to Phyllis, oh, I can't believe you do it like that. Well, now I, we call it the wolf. Now I look like a wolf in her brain. I'm attacking her and we are not going to connect uh, mm -hmm. in that. If I'm able to say to her, oh, I feel some pain about this, whatever the, this is, I've just exponentially increased the odds of her being present uh, for me. And it doesn't mean that she has to change her behavior. I just convey to her my experience and my need. And she's far, far, far more likely to be able to help me to be present for me and to want to help me. Whereas when I'm just criticizing her, I look like a wolf in her brain. We always say it's tough to hug a wolf and it's dangerous to try to dance with one. Uh, whereas if I can just present myself uh, authentically, vulnerably to her, it changes the whole dynamic. Yeah, I think we also get that question a lot with mm. what if my spouse isn't willing to right. do this with me? And we always say for you to understand emotion is huge for you. 
And we talk about how the brain houses emotion and we teach the different emotions and that there are messengers and there are guides. And so whether you are in a relationship or not in a relationship, no matter what age you are, you need to be able to tune in to the messengers that are firing in your brain. And, you know, we, we understand that the body keeps the score. We are, we are built to get emotion out of our bodies, not to store them. We are, you know, designed for that. And so in an, in or out of a relationship, we need to understand these things and we need simple tools to be able to guide us down that road. And so the, the healthier you get in just understanding emotion, understanding, uh, what your body's trying to tell you, then you're and and again, it's, you know, even in our relationship over the years, and we've been together 40 years mm. is that we're still as different as we've ever been. And so it is, you know, it's, I can't read Glenn's mind. He can't read my mind. I need to tell him what's happening with me. And so it's like when you can understand for yourself, what's happening with you, then you're able to communicate it. And that's so huge. And you're, if you're in a relationship in, or a family, everyone in that family will benefit Mm -hmm. if you are able to learn these tools for yourself and they will see the change. And, and it almost is like an invitation because they're just like, okay, Mm -hmm. whatever's happening with you, I I would like to understand that a little better. And I would like to tap into that for myself. Mm -hmm. And so it's just an invitation when they start seeing uh, your ability to communicate in a really healthy way and not in an attacking way. Yeah. 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 And that's the dream is that for uh, any relationship, you know, that both parties are being authentic are being vulnerable, but we're actually coded as humans uh, from birth. We convey what's happening for us. Mm-hmm. We convey authentically, we convey vulnerably and we convey all of it. And the the human psyche is designed to do that. Uh, and, you know, if you have children, you remember that there were times you thought you were going to get this little one to sleep at 730 and it's 845. Well, that baby's psyche won't let them sleep, won't let the body sleep until they're completely processed through. Well, there's no birthday where that changes. We older babies just had a bunch more birthdays and we're still supposed to be functioning that way. And we just learn how to make ourselves go to sleep. And the psyche is not at rest. The psyche Mm -hmm. is still clogged up, is still muddled up with all these unprocessed emotions. Uh, And so, and you'll hear people say all the time, you know, I woke up this morning, I was more tired than when I went to bed. Mm -hmm. Well, that's because the psyche was not uh, at rest. So we just help people to process the emotions. So then the psyche is at rest. And it's amazing the difference that it makes even in your sleep patterns. Yeah. yeah, I totally, totally agree with that. I've had clients come to me with so much unprocessed emotion from loss or from grief yeah. about their own relationship with the, you know, the fact that they couldn't make a relationship work. And every, every call that we had together was crying. And it was because they never were able to express emotions. They never processed their emotions like for their entire life. And so before we even talk about dating or relationships, we really work internally. So I would love for you to share your process of how people can connect more deeply and what what are some of the steps in accessing emotion and connecting with each other? 
Well, I think it helps too for your listeners just to kind of know a little more about our story. And, you know, Glenn went back to school later in life and went into family marriage and family therapy. And at that time I was uh, able to say, Hey, I will support us full time. I will build my company up so that you don't have to think about that. And so that gave him a ton of time for research beyond just his degree. And then he went on and got his doctorate in sexology, but it was very much the time that he had to do a ton of research. Mm. And so during that time though, for me, I, um, my, I was building a company and that particular year in the first quarter, uh, it had quadrupled. So, an amazing growth, which is a dream for most people who own a company, but it's also a ton of stress and pressure. And at the same time, my mom was dying of cancer. Mm. And so I emotionally was really overloaded, but I did not know how to process emotion. Matter of fact, I had said for most of our married life, Glenn has the emotions. Mm. I don't do emotions. And I said it kind of with a smile on my face, but I really believed it. I really thought that I could opt out of emotion. And so that particular year, my body said, enough is enough. I'm tired of holding on to all of this for you and I'm not going to do it anymore. And so my body started for the first time in my life, just falling apart. And, uh, that was very new for me. Um, I was 50 years old, very scary for me. I had been extremely healthy, had been a really good sleeper. All of a sudden I wasn't sleeping and that you cannot survive that. That leads to a lot of other things going wrong really fast. So this is when Glenn was doing all of this research on emotion. So he then saw me as a, um, an emergency client (laughs) and, uh, saw the need to help and began just introducing all of this knowledge Mm. and just, telling me, Hey, your brain houses emotion. And I was just blown away. I was like, how have I missed this? Like, does everyone else on the planet know this information, but me, like what in the world? And so I was intrigued. I was probably not the easiest um, patient of his, but as he began to just talk about emotion and started showing me, and I was like, so desperate that I was like, okay, I am listening. You've got my attention. And, you know, I know for at that time, one of the things he said was talked about sad, being sad. And I, because my mom's dying and I was like, I don't have time to be sad. That was my comeback. And he said, babe, sad is firing in your brain. Like it's, it's not an option. You need to, you need to get it out. You need to talk about it. And I did not want to talk about it. Like I wanted to hold together. I didn't want to cry. I didn't want to talk about how sad I was that my mom was dying. So I was really storing it. I mean, big time in my body, holding it tight. And then the other was fear in my business. And I really reacted very strongly. I was like, I'm not afraid of anything. I was insulted that he would even suggest that fear might be part of part of what was overloading my brain. Well, then I had to realize, okay, what I'm doing isn't working. So I've got to really like tune down, tune in, calm down and go, okay, let's talk about emotion. Let's talk about sad. Let's talk about fear. And then I realized 
Oh, I'm flooded. I'm flooded with those all the time. I'm flooded with fear, fear of failure, fear of making the wrong decision in my company, fear of doing the wrong thing, of people quitting, of of my clients Mm -hmm. not being happy. And of course, then the big one also was sad. Like, yes, I was so sad that my mom was dying. And so for the first time, I began tapping in to what was happening in my body and I started releasing it. And I mean, almost instantly I started sleeping again. Yeah. And she was just such an incredible case study. Uh, Mm. I hate to reference her that way, but we all are, we're each of us is just a science experiment. And so I'd been doing all of this research myself and then also researching other people's research, studying other people's studies, uh, you know, realizing that there are five neural regions associated with emotion. That's true for every human on the planet. Uh, we don't get to opt uh, out. When Jephelis had said that phrase so many times, and I thought, oh, okay, because she'd say, oh, Glenn has enough emotions for both of us. You know, I don't I do not do emotions. Well, that seemed to be the case. You know, it seemed to fit uh, our narrative. Uh, and then starting to study this and realizing, oh, wait a minute, there's no human on the planet that doesn't breathe oxygen. You don't get to opt out of that. So there are these things about humans that we now know uh, just as far as just the, the biochemics uh, of it, uh, how it, how it works. So then realizing that a couple of the regions are divided up because they actually appear differently on a brain scan. And so we came up with the eight core emotions. Uh, so then I thought, well, if this is true, then people have to get in touch with this because mm-hmm. almost everybody I know is clueless. And mm-hmm. I looked emotional, but I had no idea what to do with these emotions. I was just mm-hmm. always bouncing off the wall uh, I wasn't the life of the party. I was the party, uh, which there's an upside and a downside to everything. And that looked fun some of the time, but then par- other parts of the time, it was horrific. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I was very, very dysfunctional, even though it looked like I was uh, the emotional one. So we wanted to figure out how do we help people deal with this, uh, mm-hmm. both people like me that look emotional and people like Phyllis that look like they've opted out uh, of emotion. So that led us, again, through lots and lots of experimenting into what we now reference as the core emotion wheel, where we, where we help people. It's a training exercise for them to get back in touch with what's already happening inside of them. We don't have to uh, introduce it to them, but it's already there. They just don't know it. They don't realize that if they inhale, they have to exhale. And you know, oxygen is not good or bad, right or wrong. It's just neutral but you inhale it. Well, if you never exhale, you're in big trouble. Well, that's what's happening with emotion. People are experiencing emotion, but they don't exhale it. And so it gets built up, built up, built up. And there's research now that says uh, unprocessed emotion There's a mounting body of evidence that says that unprocessed emotion uh, is what leads to debilitating illnesses, most of them, which includes many cancers, which is stunning to think that because especially Western medicine, we're all about curing the symptom. You know, we treat Mm. the symptom and not realizing that, oh, there's something uh, that's uh, behind this. Uh, Dr. Steve Case has done research where he says that he has isolated hardening of the arteries down to six weeks of loneliness. That's pretty stunning to think six weeks and people are living disconnected for years and Mm. years and years. Uh, And and I was a kid in the seventies when they started saying that uh, stress leads to heart attacks. And again, I was 10 years old, but I thought, well, that's stupid. No, listen to the word heart. The heart leads to heart attacks. And I had no concept that, oh, there's something before 
that, mm. that actually set that up. And now we realize that. So our goal, you know, the whole connection coach mentality is to help people to process the emotion that's actually blocking them. A corollary of that is that that's how humans connect is through emotion, not logistics. Uh, logistics are real, but that's not what connects us in deep relationships is the emotion that's underneath it uh, that does. Yeah. Can you name the eight core emotions for us? Yeah. Well, the five regions are anger, fear, disgust, pleasure, and pain. And then the we divide the pain region up into hurt, sadness, and loneliness, and the disgust region up into guilt and shame. So it'd be anger, fear, Oh, don't test me too hard on this, Sandy. Anger, fear, guilt, hurt, sad, shame, lonely. Did I miss one? Joy. joy. No, I forgot joy. Yeah. Uh, I think I said those right. Please don't quiz me. So, so intense. I should know this. I've only done it a few <laughs> thousand uh, times. But again, to, to realize that that's true for every human on the planet. Uh, and it's a common language. This is part of uh, the connection goes to spread to over 60 nations now. And it's true in every culture. So this isn't just a whatever, a United States thing, a Western civilization thing. This is the human uh, condition uh, to be able to process those. Well, and what we reference as the core motion wheel is simply the tool that was developed. It's right. a simple tool. And part of it, I think, goes back to my own story. I needed things to be simple. Uh, Glenn was always great about doing the research. He would he would find great books and he would go, oh, you should read this book. And I wasn't about to read that book. And so I needed She was things... too busy being productive and actually getting <laughs> stuff done. I needed <laughs> things to be really simple. And I think there's a lot of people like me who need just a simple tool, like just give me a tool. And, and that's what we call our four minute tool. And so with the core motion wheel, four minutes is is for two people. Mm -hmm. So if you're by yourself, it's just two minutes. Or if you have, and you're doing it as a family, obviously it's going to be more than four minutes. But it's like a tool that we encourage people to do every day of just slowing down enough mm -hmm. to say to each other what's happening for you. And, and, you know, it's always fascinating to me that we assume we know. And when you use a tool and you just commit to it, it's like you hear things from each other right. uh, that you may have totally missed, even if you've been together all day long. And and I, we see it, especially in family units with kids. Kids do it so well. And it's such a beautiful way to connect with your kids where you really hear not just the activity of their day, but you hear the emotion of their day. And it, you know, it, it also kind of tunes you into your own brain. Like sometimes people go, well, I don't know what's happening for me. Or they go, well, I can tell you the joy, but that's it. Or some people go, yeah, I don't have, I can't, I can't name one single joy. Mm -hmm. Like, and so this tool just re, it, it kind of, it's like your brain has gone to sleep. You, you know, you don't know how to connect anymore to yourself. And it slows you down for you to go, okay, what's happening yeah. in the fear region? When was the last time I felt fear? And then you realize, oh man, I felt fear when I was on the interstate today because the cars around me were driving so fast. And it's like the simple things that you may not think about. And yet that was a fear experience. And if you aren't tuning in and letting it out of your body, it's just getting stuck in there. It's just getting stored. And I, and for us, like, at times, especially when we've hurt each other, we can spend a 20 minutes explaining the logistic of the hurt. And then the other person feels attacked or the other person mm -hmm. feels like they have to justify, or the other person hears that emotion you're trying to say through a whole paragraph and they're jumping to, 
the, oh, let me fix it. Let me make it better. Um, or, you know, you're sharing something simple like, oh, I feel fear about, you know, the concert tonight. And, and out of a good intention, the response is, oh, you're going to do fine. You're fantastic. You're the best musician I've heard. And we call that, that you're resisting the person's energy. And so in the teaching of our tools, we give a lot of background where you go, oh, no wonder that never works when mm -hmm. I try to fix everybody's problems. And it's like, yeah, they don't feel heard. People just want to feel heard. They just want space for what they're experiencing. They don't want you to try to fix them. And, and so those are the things that in simplifying these tools, it's like you kind of go back to, oh, no wonder we miss on it. You know, we miss each other every day. And now I understand what's happening. Like I'm trying to fix everybody and no one in my family appreciates me. And it's like, cause none of them want you to fix them. They want to feel heard by you and that yeah. make space for what they're experiencing. Yeah, and so. for most of us, our emotional muscle has atrophied so mm -hmm. terribly that we don't even know how to use it. Uh, and I'm not mad at my parents about this, but um, I remember my parents would say to me, you stop your crying or I'll give you something to cry about. Mm -hmm. uh, and even when I, my father passed away when I was eight. So, uh, you know, for him to have said that to me, I was younger than that. But I can remember even at five or six years old thinking, no, no, I'm not crying as a hobby. I didn't say that to him or I wouldn't be here today. But, you know, there already had a reason to cry. I don't need you don't need to spank me to give me a reason to cry. I promise I already have a reason to cry. So I was trained to shut down very, very early mm -hmm. on and, and not convey authentically. And that's part of why I became, you know, the the party because I was just always up. I was always mm -hmm. fun because I knew that that was acceptable uh, to convey anything else was not acceptable or you'll get a reason uh, to cry. And so I became in completely inauthentic. Mm -hmm. And so by the time I met Phyllis, I looked great. Uh, you know, I was uh, athletic. I was smart. I was fun. I was funny. I actually was cute back then. It was a long time ago. Um, and she adored me but I had no idea how to present the authentic uh, self. And so all this stuff was happening again, referencing back to the dishwasher story. She says, thanks for allowing the dishwasher. I get flooded with shame because I think she's belittling me, you know, making a big deal out of a little thing. And she, of course she didn't know that she's thinking, I just said, thanks for allowing the dishwasher. Mm -hmm. How could that possibly be a bad thing to say? She's thinking it's good. And we did that hundreds or a thousand or more times you know, I think about all the wounding uh, from that. And so I desperately needed the ability to just say, I get hit with shame when you say that. It's not her fault. We're not blaming Phyllis that Glenn gets hit with shame. He just does. Mm -hmm. uh, and now we know how to dance through that emotion and literally process it through in 30 seconds. Uh, and it actually becomes connecting, not disconnecting. Yeah. It, it's such a common dynamic too. I mean, I see it all the time with couples where the woman shares an experience. She just wants to be validated, heard, you know, a little empathy and the guy comes in with solution. And when she says, I'm not looking to be fixed, I'm not looking for solution. He gets insulted. He shuts down. I failed you. I'm a failure. I'm pissed off at you, you know, and, and it continues. And so breaking that dynamic is so huge because it is so common. And I mean, I, I grew up with a fixing parent and even last night I was commenting about, I have a sister who's in a really healthy relationship and I just made a comment that I was so happy for her. 
And my mother calls me like an hour later and says, you know, your sister put herself out there and you know, you could do that too. And I'm like, did I ask for help? (laughs) What are you doing here? I am really happy with my life. I was just commenting on my sister. And so, you know, it's just, I, I'm not, I'm less triggered than I used to be because I know she has good intention, but I have told her many times, I, I really want to feel my feelings. And when you say to me, don't worry, don't feel that doesn't feel good. Can I tell you what feels better? You know, and over time she has made some small changes, but it's, um, you know, these are dynamics that get really imprinted in us early on and for us to break them, not so easy, but using these tools, really getting familiar with emotions, expressing emotions and letting the other person know what's going on for you. Just being heard and witnessed is just such a beautiful thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Wow. I love it. It's amazing. So as we come to a close, uh, what are your final words of advice for anyone who wants to go on their last first date? For people who have put themselves out there, who are looking for love, looking for a relationship and, um, it's that idea of, can I be authentic? Like, can I show up as my true self? Can I share, uh, authentically what my emotions are? And the answer is yes. And to be on a date, even if it's your first date to be able to be authentic and see that that person is safe for you, then that could be your last first date. Cause that could be the one where it's like, this person allows me to be authentic. I don't have to show up and fake it. I don't have to try to impress. I can be authentic and you deserve that. You deserve a life where you can be safe and authentic and who you are and made space. There's space for your emotion. And it, it is, it's such a beautiful thing when you can see that, wow, that person made space for me. And cause too often we feel broken. We feel that, you know, we're too broken to be loved or uh, especially if we've had multiple relationships, but to know, no, that's not true. You, you can be an authentic person and find the person where you can be safe. Yeah. We always say that uh, everyone on the planet who's connecting deeply is using the connection codes, not because we say so, Mm. it's just the human condition. And if we're not able, as Phyllis said, to be authentic, Mm -hmm. we're going to, we're not going to be able to connect very deeply. We may still have an interactive relationship, but to feel safe for me to be able to tell Phyllis. And I remember just how incredibly vulnerable for me to say to Phyllis, I feel shame when you say thank you for unloading the dishwasher, well, that makes no sense to her, but she's able to ooh me and be safe me and go, oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And then we call it the three phrases. She goes, so what happens there? What am I missing? And then she's able to just be present with me. And we're hearing from, and, and the connection codes are evolving and spreading around the world, but we're hearing from people that say, I'm able to sort through relationships so fast now mm-hmm. because I present my authentic self And if the other is not going to be safe for me, it's still painful, but at least, you know, in an hour instead Mm -hmm. of three and a half years. Uh, And again, I'm not saying it's not painful. There's still pain in it, but it's better to find that out in an hour or a day. And again, Mm -hmm. instead of years, uh, because I want to be around people who accept me and my authentic self. I don't want to be around. I don't want to expend all of my time and energy 
with people who are never going to be safe for me. Mm-hmm. And I didn't learn that until way into my 40s. Uh, so I spent most of my uh, life not being authentic because I thought that's what we were supposed to do. You know, supposed to present your inauthentic self and to go ahead and be able to do that, just to present your authentic self. If the person is not going to be safe with you, at least now you know, uh, which again is still painful, but it's better to find out early on in the relationship. Yeah, it's, it's so true. It's information that we really do need right up front. And it yeah. takes vulnerability to be you. It's much easier to put a mask on, and but it's really not fun in the long run to be someone else. It, it takes a lifetime to come back to who we were. And I think if we can connect in that vulnerable way, it's the only road to deepening intimacy and to really finding out. And it's okay to go through people and be pickier about the right things because you want to know. You don't want to, you don't want to guess. You know, if you had been guessing still, you probably would be still fighting. So it's, uh, this is such important work. Mm -hmm. I know that you are offering our uh, audience 20% off your foundation's masterclass. Actually, just, I should have said it when we were talking about the core emotion wheel, that uh, if you're, if your listeners are interested in a, in a free download of the core emotion wheel, Mm -hmm. they can go to our website, connectioncodes.co forward slash last first date and your listeners will get uh the the wheel and the instructions and a video of us teaching how to use that tool Mm -hmm. so that's for your listeners and then the discount code if they wanted uh to jump into a master class it is last first date all capital last first oh just last first oh good we made it shorter last that's for 20 percent off Okay, so the 20% off is just last first, and the last first date is the free download of the wheel. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. Um, The wheel is really helpful. Um, I've watched it in action in your masterclass, and I think it's really, it's just such an important thing to have a a quick tool to -hmm. be able to access your emotions because people, people, sad, mad, glad, that's about the vocabulary of most people. And um, our emotions go deeper, but we don't have to name a hundred of them. You know, they don't have to be so nuanced. Um, Yeah. So thank you so much for coming on the show and for sharing these important tools and helping so many people connect more deeply. I really appreciate your wisdom. Wow. Thank you. What an honor. It's cool. And thanks everybody for listening today. If you love our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And as always, here's to your last first date. If you are ready to get unstuck, gain new tools, become more empowered, and finally find your last first date, I'd love to talk to you. Fill out an application to be considered for a complimentary half-hour love breakthrough session at lastfirstdate.com forward slash application. 